You don't hear what God says. What Jesus is saying is, you don't hear God's voice. And he kind of breaks it down further and explains what the problem is in um, John chapter 10. It says in chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So this week I was thinking about the verses, and I was thinking about just this concept of these religious leaders who, they could not hear God's voice. And I was thinking, and I was thinking initially, I was like, man, that's crazy. That's crazy that God literally sent Jesus for the sake of better communication, for the sake of better relationship, for the sake of, to better communicate his love for humanity, to better communicate his plan of salvation, to better communicate his grace for mankind. But these religious leaders, they didn't even want to hear from Jesus, like the one that God sent. And all because they didn't like what he was saying. I was like, man, that's crazy. But then, I thought, wait, I shouldn't be so outraged. I shouldn't feel so like, how could they? Because that's me. Do you know how many times I have not wanted to hear from Jesus in just this past week alone? No, Jesus, I'm tired. I don't want to do my devotions right now. I'm just going to sleep in for 30 more minutes before I have to leave. No, no, Jesus, I don't want to have that conversation with this person. Do you know how potentially awkward that conversation would be? What if they get offended? What if they don't like me? No, no, no. Why do I always have to have the awkward conversations? You see, this encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees in John chapter 8 shows us that it is completely possible to be involved at church, to serve, to study scripture, even memorize it, to give financially, to be involved in community, and still never hear God's voice. Isn't that sad? But this is such an important area for us to understand. If I asked you, in your life, are you hearing from God in the way that you would like to? I think most of us would probably say, honestly, no, I'm not. And why is that? I think it's because many of us have this incorrect idea or understanding that God is not that interested in talking to us. But again, scripture shows us again and again just how much God desires to communicate with his people. There are five ways that God speaks to us as evidenced by scripture that I want to highlight this morning. The first is through scripture. And um, if you're someone who you're like, you know, I really do want to hear God more regularly in my life, but you're not spending time in the Word, I want to encourage you and challenge you to start opening your Bibles. Um, this is a screenshot of what is shockingly a somewhat normal text conversation between, well, it's just, it's not really between us. It's just my sister, younger sister texting me. Okay? She's very needy. So, um, this is my younger sister. She said, on me, this is older sister in three. On me, this is after she called me three times and I didn't answer. On me, it's me, your only sister, calling you, my only sister. Hello? Why aren't you answering? What could be more important than the bond between two sisters? 
Then, this is the text she sent uh, when I finally called her back, okay? I called her back and then she didn't answer. She said, I'm busy. <laughs> okay. um, I'm not saying that you are as unreasonable as Michael Spears, okay? I'm not saying that. But, aren't we like this sometimes? In the sense that we wonder and maybe we even complain that God doesn't speak to us? God's not involved in my life. I don't know what he wants from me. But then when he calls, we don't answer. And when he texts us, we don't even bother opening those texts. We save it to read later. When we have time. When we need it. How many of you guys ordered the workbooks for the Ruby series? Okay, so many guys. Um, so I spent some time in this last week um, with the, the rooted uh, workbook. And as I did that, what I realized was this whole rooted series, the bulk of the stuff, the bulk of the work, the bulk of the transformation, the change, the foundation for those things is found in the devotional part of the series that's found in the workbook. But if you didn't order a book, no, that doesn't mean like, oh, sorry, no transformation for you. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Ask your small group leader to send you photos or screenshots of the daily devotions. No, we're not going to get sued, right? Um, I, I don't know if we will, but it's really not that important, like being sued, because I really believe that's where the growth is going to happen. If you put the time into spending reading the devotionals, I promise it will not just be like, and eh, whatever, it's just information, right? We have so much knowledge in this room, right? In this room alone, there is so much knowledge about God. There is so much knowledge about church. There is so much knowledge about Adventism. But how much are, how many of us are experiencing God? How many of us are experiencing his presence? How many of us are experiencing his goodness, his faithfulness? Get the workbooks. Or text someone who does. The second way that God speaks to us is through his creation. Because God is the one who created the universe, it makes sense that by observing what he made, we can learn more about him. Romans 1, chapter 2, uh, Romans 1, verse 20, even tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly revealed, so that people are without excuse. In other words, when you look at nature, when you look at creation, when you look at the stars in a clear night sky, when you look up at trees that are taller than buildings, when you stand at the edge of an ocean that seems to have no end, or when you catch the, the prettiest painted sunset on your way home and you're like smiling to yourself even though you're completely alone, those are whispers of God's character. Those are whispers of God's creativity. Those are whispers of God's attention to detail, his love. And you should ask yourself next time, what does this sunset tell me about what God is like? God also speaks to us through other people. We see this in scripture often and we believe that God continues to do that today, which is why a healthy and safe faith community is so important. 
And I know we've talked about the importance of small groups before. I know I talk about it a lot. But especially because we are in the Rooted series, small groups are so important. Many of us have gone through Christian motions before, but where we fall short is we do not share what those Christian motions have led us to experience. And the sharing of our stories is a critical part of experiencing God's gift. It's not enough to just do your devotions. You are also meant to share what God is revealing to you through what you read. What's he saying to you? How did you respond to that? And then what did he say? And then what did you say? Small groups is where you share these stories. And he also speaks to us through supernatural means. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush, spoke to Balaam through a donkey, spoke to Gideon through an angel. He spoke to some through dreams and others through visions. Supernatural things. And last but not least, the last communication method I want to touch on is he speaks to us through prayer. We often think that prayer is our opportunity for us to talk to God, but Jesus shows us in his life that there were many moments where it was during his time of prayer that God spoke to him. Like when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking for God's will to be revealed to him, or when he was praying all night before picking his disciples. It was because during his time of prayer, yes, he shared his thoughts, but he also gave God space and time and quietness to respond. A time and a space that was free of distractions. A time and a space where he could say, not my will, but yours. A time of surrender. When is the last time you really, really listened for God's voice? And why is it even really important? Why is it important for us to hear his voice? Why is it important for us to respond? Um, I've been reading this leadership book lately, and it's about Moses and his leadership. And Moses' life, as many of you guys know, can be divided up into three parts. The first 40 years of his life, the middle 40 years of his life, and the last 40 years. And if you know the story, you know that the first 40 years of his life, he spent it being a very, very important and influential person in the eyes of the world. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was true to his loyalty. He was the prince of Egypt. But then something happens, and he finds himself running away from the palace and all the glitz and glam of his former life. And instead, he finds himself in the opposite of the palace. He actually finds himself in a desert wasteland, working for his wife's dad, taking care of sheep. And then he spends the next third of his life in the desert with the sheep, day in, day out, at the ripe, ripe age of 80, Something crazy happens. It starts off like any other normal sheep herding day. The sheep graze, he sits on a rock, keeps an eye on them. Same old desert, same old sheep. But on this day, he sees something he's never seen before. A bush. No, he's seen a bush before. But a bush that's on fire. But the fire is not burning the bush up. And he's never seen this before, ever. So he walks over to the bush, and as he gets closer, he hears a voice. And this voice says to him, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground you are standing on is holy. The voice of God. When God shows up, he is so holy that even the dirt around him turns holy. Moses, take off your shoes. 
you're in my presence now. And God says to him, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to relieve them. I'm going to liberate them from underneath the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. And Moses, uh, you're going to be the guy that leads them. So uh, go tell them the plan. And Moses is 80. He's like, um, God, what if they don't listen to you? Such a relatable and understandable question, isn't it? It's been years and years since he was a person of importance in Pharaoh's palace. He's been living in the middle of nowhere in complete obscurity. God, uh, what if they laugh at me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they reject me? I'm pretty sure you should ask someone else because I am not your strongest candidate. What am I even going to say to them? No, 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 it's going to be you, Moses. Um, this is how it's going to go down. Moses, are you, can you do something for me? Uh, okay. What's that you're holding in your hand? My staff? Yeah, throw it on the ground. And Moses does. He throws the staff on the ground. And, well, okay, it instantly turns into a snake. And scripture tells us that actually Moses runs away. And I don't know how many times I've heard this story before, but I learned something really cool this week. Did you ever wonder why did God turn the staff into a snake? It's not because it's like a random animal choice. It's not because God lacks imagination and he's like, oh, okay, staff is like long and thin, and a snake is also long and thin. Like, I'll conserve my power. No, this is cool. Egyptian culture at this time worshipped snakes. Snakes were a symbol of ultimate power and authority, which is why we see crowns worn by the pharaohs at that time. We see a snake at the top of the crown. Uh, this is King Tut's burial mask. And what do we see at the top? Can I see the next picture? Okay, it's on the top. Uh, on your left, is a vulture, and the vulture symbolizes like protection of the pharaoh uh, from those who might oppose him. And then on your right is a cobra, a cobra, to symbolize the king's power over both upper and lower Egypt. The staff turning into a snake, it wasn't a random animal choice that God made. It was so very intentional. Oh, the animal that everyone worships, the animal that people associate with gods and power and authority, God is making it abundantly clear to Moses, who would have understood the snake thing immediately because he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. God is making it clear to him, all power, all authority, all control belongs to me. Egyptian gods? You mean what I just made from a stick? Moses, now go pick up the snake. I feel like this is the part of the story that is, it's understandable for Moses to express some hesitation. Like, oh, you want me to pick it up? <laughs> um, you don't want to turn it back into my staff first? That was my favorite staff. <laughs> but instead, what we see here is that Moses, he's been listening this entire time. And in this moment, when he hears God's voice again, he makes a decision. 
to practice surrender, to practice obedience. And he reaches down and he picks up the snake. And then it instantly becomes a stick event. And what God is teaching Moses here, and what he wants us to learn this morning, is that what we hold in our hands is completely normal and natural in our hands. But when we place it before God, in surrender, in obedience, it becomes supernatural. And that same piece of wood, when it was dipped into the Nile River, turned the river to blood. And when it was held in front of the Red Sea, it parted this body of water because the stick was magical? No. Because of who God is and what God wanted to make happen. But it wasn't until Moses listened and surrendered and obeyed that Moses was able to enter into a deeper experience of who God is. And just think about how many lives were blessed and changed because of Moses' response. And God wants to talk to you. He's been waiting for you guys to go deeper. It's one of those relationships, it's kind of like me and my sister, where one party wants to talk to the other party way more than the other party. You know what I'm saying? God wants to talk to you so much more than you could ever want to talk to him. God wants to hear from you so much more than you could ever want to hear from him. Do you want a deeper experience of who God is? Then start by listening. And then follow with surrender and obedience. Not because he needs stuff from you. Not because he needs you to do stuff from him. But because when you surrender, when you obey, you go deeper in your trust of him. It is just a logical truth that if you spend time with someone who is trustworthy, you will grow to trust them more. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Like I said, today is an extra special Sabbath because we are celebrating three people who have taken time to listen, to respond, and follow. And we are so happy to be celebrating your baptisms today. Lauren, Congratulations, guys. Church, I'm going to end with this. You already, like, you know, when I was telling, telling you about the five different ways that we can hear from God, let's be real. You already knew those ways, okay? None of you were, like, shocked when I said, you can hear God through Scripture. No one's like, really? Tell me more. You already know this, okay? But... What we as a community is trying to do is move from what we know in our minds to experiencing it in our lives. And the thing is, I can tell you right now, when you're first starting out, you're not going to be good at it. Okay? No offense, but you're not. You're going to be actually pretty bad at it. But that's normal because it is not our nature to be drawn to spiritual things. And that's why we need to practice. We need to practice listening. We need to practice surrendering. We need to practice doing your devotions. We need to practice responding with obedience. And that's, you know, that's why we're really hoping you can be intentional this series. If you haven't joined a small group yet, join a small group. For those of you guys who are in campus ministry, we launched eight campus ministry small groups last night. If you want a deeper experience of God, get plugged in. Come talk to me. Get signed up for small groups. If you're in the youth group, 
Go to Wednesday night small group, talk to Pastor Isaac. If you're a young adult or an adult, whether you're considered the young families or the older families, there are small groups for you to be a part of. Get plugged in, talk to Pastor Richard, talk to Elder Dave Kim, and let us practice as a community. Practice setting aside time. Practice setting aside space to listen. These challenges I extend to you every time I preach, it's awesome if you are disciplined enough to just follow through the challenges on your own. But what about those of us who we have the best of intentions when we hear the challenge, but then the moment we stand up to walk over for a potluck, where did that intention go? Where did that memory go? Spiritual amnesia. But the thing, but the thing is, if you think about the things that you have practiced a lot in your life, whether it was a musical instrument, a career skill, um, a sport, whatever, oftentimes, unless you have some kind of crazy passion for it, you practice because you are held accountable to practicing. So open yourselves up for some accountability. Find a small group. Practice the habit of doing devotions. Practice listening. Practice surrendering and practice obedience. Because what you will experience as you exercise these weak, weak muscles that we all have is a strengthened relationship and a deeper experience of God's presence and realness in your life. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, um, 